On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You're listening to My Turning Point, where this week, man, this is a fun one. Joined by Gene Simmons of KISS to talk about his new Gibson line. And that leads to a lot of memories from him seeing the Hendrix and Who to talking about Jimmy Page. This is really one you do not want to miss. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Gene Simmons as much as we did. What does it mean to you to have the Gibson, to have the alignment with Gibson? What does that mean to you? you know, to, to be working with them on these basses and guitars. Gibson has a legacy unmatched by anybody uh, putting guitars out there, having to do with named after, you know, the classic guitars, the Les Paul. Most people may not know Les Paul and Mary Ford were pioneers to multi-tracking. So when you heard those Les Paul, Mary Ford records and harmonies and a lot of guitar parts. That was just them. And they were traveling on the road. They'd set up their multi-tracks in their hotel rooms and just record. And Les Paul had an accident and his right arm was damaged. And when they tried to fix the right arm, they figured out, we can't fix it. We'll have to set the bones so you can have it, you know, this way or in the back of your head or something. Which way do you want? And Les Paul said, I want my arm set up like this so I can at least always play guitar. And for the rest of his life, he walked around like that, but at least he could play guitar, hold a guitar pick. It was a fascinating story, I thought. The relationship with Gibson is not new. I started in the 70s, 75 or so, playing rippers and grabbers, and they sounded great. But as my outfits got bigger and clunkier and heavier... I started designing my own bases, the Axe and the Punisher, which I manufactured uh, overseas. And then Caesar, who was the new CEO of Gibson, called me out of the blue and said, you know, I'm the new decision maker here and you need to come home to Gibson. And I said, well, I appreciate it, but I'm really not looking for another full-page ad in guitar world next to... Mm -hmm respectfully musicians who you have no idea who they are and you've never heard of the band they're in. That just doesn't mean anything anymore. Of course, by the way, if I was a new guy and I had a full page ad, you know, I'd show everybody next door in Ypsilanti, Michigan. But it's no longer that. You know, when I was a kid, you'd see Paige and Clapton and you go, yeah. And then everybody that's starting out in a band gets a full page ad. So inflation has kicked in and so I wasn't looking for self-aggrandizement, which is a big word like gymnasium. You want to do something? Let's really kick it up. So we're doing a joint venture. G squared. Small two, like an Einstein, you know, theory. And H2O equals MC squared. Well, this is G squared. Gibson and Gene taking the Gibson brand and kicking it up a notch. 
the sound is better, the looks are better, without diluting the Gibson legacy. So the basses are going to be, a, the instruments rather, are going to be a full line, guitars and basses. In fact, one of the first instruments is going to be a limited edition guitar and bass double neck. And I'm going to make sure I get the first one. <laughs> so we have the Thunderbird, which was originally going to be called Thunder Bass. Somebody trademarked that so we can't use it. I played that first one in Dubai, and it sounded like thunder. There's going to be a Flying V, guitar and bass, also left-handed version. And we're fooling around with lots of different models. There'll be different price points. It'll be a cheaper model. It'll be the deluxe and so on. And I also want to do, besides the left-handed versions of guitars and basses, I want to do a junior version. You know, that first instrument that your kid picks up and starts to play where the fretboard is smaller for those smaller hands really want to do that because music is the thing that brings stuff i mean you got to remember when you were a kid a b c d e f you know music is the one of the best learning ways and it brings families together so i'm all about that that's funny. I was just going to ask you, and by the way, as a quick aside, because I don't want to take up too much time of your interview, but I did actually get to interview Les Paul once, which was a remarkable achievement. Was He was amazing. But do you remember how old you were when you first got your, when you got your first bass? How old were you when you got your first one? I had started uh, tinkering with an acoustic guitar. I don't remember whose it was. You know, I could do like a folk guitar C and then the G, the way folk people play and started picking at it. And I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't even know what the chords were called. And my mother, bless her, saw that I got uh, serious about it. And she bought me a, a McCartney kind of Hofner knockoff Japanese called a Kent. And that didn't sound great. And she went out and she didn't understand guitars or basses. So she bought me a decent guitar. It was an SG standard, Gibson. People who don't know what that is might remember what it looks like when you see Angus in ACDC. That's kind of like uh, what she bought me. And I got, I got to say, uh, I fell in love with the sound, the look, the vibe. It just hung nicely, you know, down to the crotch, the way Paige would do it. And so that was my first memory of guitar. Ironically enough, Gibson was the first guitar I actually learned to play songs on. And the Gibson SG Standard was the very first guitar I ever wrote my first song on. How old are you? How old am I now? No, how old more. were you when you wrote it? Then? Oh, 14. <laughs> All right. It's so, but do you remember the song? Do you still have the song anywhere? My uncle is a raft. It's on the Jensen's uh, box set. I actually, I don't know why I thought it was important, but I went to my friends at that point, Larry Martinelli and Mark Nyberg, as a matter of fact. And we went to Larry Martinelli's basement where he had a real reel and we recorded it. And his mom was upstairs cooking spaghetti and meatballs. So that's really what I was going for. I didn't know. And he said, I've got some guitars and drums downstairs. Let's go uh, try to work up that song you wrote. Uh, so we did. And you can hear that original version when I was 14 that's on the Gene Simmons box set. 
All right. So, so for you, it's funny. I mean, cause again, this is what I was getting at earlier. You've achieved so much, you've accomplished so much, you've done so many things, but still, you know, there's such a nice sort of thing of bringing it back full circle to come back to Gibson, which was your first guitar. So for you, when you do a partnership like this, does it bring back a lot of memories and oh, does shit. it trigger things? Oh, sure. And that's a really good question because everything in our life, whether it's music or your favorite T-shirt or, you know, stuff is a part of our, you know, it's a part of our life. It's filled with memories. And uh, I know there are people who've had the, their Chicago Cubs hat ever since they were a kid and they'll never throw it away because it was pivotal in terms of the memories of where they were, what they did and stuff like that. So stuff and music is really part of our lives, of course. Whatever happened to that original, do you know what happened to the original SG-10? The one that you had? The, the original SG standard? Um, yeah, yeah, the one you had. Yeah, I remember selling it for a profit, of course, because that's what my people <laughs> do. In fact, one of the other bases I had early on was a Fender... Uh, it was a Fender bass, but it had humbucker pickups on it. And it sounded really good, big, thick piece of wood, but it also had the low end because some of the Fender instruments to my ears, sound tinny up on top. And Paul and I were singing background before Kiss, picking up extra cash by singing backgrounds on demos and albums at Electric Lady. And Stephen Stills was busy recording Love the One You're With in Studio A for uh, his solo record. And he literally came over. And it's funny because Stephen lives not too far from where uh, we used to live in L.A., and he came over and he said, hey, man, I really like that bass. I'll buy it from you. And I paid 150 bucks for it, which at the time was a lot of money. And, of course, coming from the loins of my people, I said, 300 bucks, not a penny less. <laughs> and I remember him reaching into his pocket and pulling out hundreds. And he pulled and he reeled off 300 bucks and gave it to me. And I'd never seen a wad of bills, you know, hundreds like that. And I thought, wow, this rock star thing, that's real good. I got to get me some of that. <laughs> so, all right. Now, how many times in your life, or do you, just for the sake of the memory, carry a wad of hundreds? I never, hardly ever do. I hardly ever carry money at all. Obviously, since the advent of credit cards, money's become a thing of the past. In fact, since credit cards, I hardly carry any cash. And since cryptocurrency... Even credit cards are becoming obsolete. So do you remember then, though, just for fun, the first time that you had that wad of cash that Stephen Stills like had? And what was the first thing you bought where you could just roll off a few hundreds? It wasn't my memory uh, goes back to checks. Once upon a time, checks were a real thing. And I remember showing my mother one of the first big checks I got and had lots of zeros on it and everything. And I showed it to my mother and bless her heart, she didn't understand what the number meant or who gave it to me or why. Like, <laughs> what do you do? What time do you work? And who gave you the money? I said, well, you know, people, they buy records. And so she just couldn't understand it. And I'll never forget her response. She put the check down on the table and she said, 
wonderful in her thick Hungarian accent. Now what are you going to do? And that's precisely the point. <laughs> when you reach top of Mount Olympus or whatever it is you do, now what are you going to do? You're going to sit back and wait to die? So your heart rate starts to go down? You know, use it or lose it. You climb one mountain, go up the next mountain, just keep going. No matter how much money you've got, no matter how much fame and all that kind of stuff, just keep moving. Well, I talk about that with artists all the time because as an artist, you're never satisfied. As an artist, you're always trying to do the next thing, no matter how great something you've done is. So for you, you know, how does that partnership with Gibson factor into that of being able to still create new things, of do new endeavors? Very clever for you to bring it back to Gibson. And we appreciate it, of course. Uh, look, <clears throat> you live and die by your instrument, just like singers live and die by their voices. And something can look good. Admittedly, there are instruments out there that look good. They just don't sound good. And there are instruments that actually sound good. Page has used uh, silver tone or Dan Electro, you know, sort of more obscure guitars that may not be a classical look, but they sound good, at least to him. So the magic formula here is to make something sound extraordinary, not ordinary, but extraordinary, to make it as good as possible looking so that you approach it as art. I know there are folks out there who are going to buy our G-squared instruments, guitars and basses, and stick them up on the wall as art, especially if I sign them. <laughs> and coffee table uh, sort of art. You want to make it look good and sound good. And that's always been the philosophy of KISS. You buy a ticket, you want to go see, I don't know, Adele or lots of other wonderful artists, Ed Sheeran, all these guys. You know, that you get the music, but you can actually close your eyes and you're not going to miss a lot as far as I'm concerned, live concerts are audio-visual. You want to hear the tunes you like, but you also want to dazzle the eyes. Well, it's interesting. We'll wrap up in a second, but one or two more questions. But one, when you were playing the Thunder guitar on stage in Dubai, New Year's Eve, were there songs for you that you either hear in a new way or like, because it's anything you do when you bring something new into it, whether it's new members, whether it's a new instrument, it adds something new to it. So were there favorite songs for you to do on stage that night with the new bass? I think I used it in War Machine, but I do recall, uh, I didn't want to use it for the whole set because, you know, you just don't know. So I used it in sound check just to get a sound level. And then during the show, I said, okay, give me my, give me my new bass, the very first one. And immediately it was a take no prisoners. Uh, I think the way I can describe it is, it had the same effect as if you're going to be in a fight, kick the guy in the balls first, okay? Just immediate <laughs> reaction. Just immediate, this is what I mean. Do I have my mother's hips? Why won't he call me in the morning? None of that crap. No preamble to the Constitution. Just a good, solid, cave your chest cavity in kind of sound. And that's what it is. I wouldn't recommend our G-squared basses for ballads. They're not designed that way. All right, so if you're going to do like Adele, someone like you, that's probably not the bass you want to play. I leave it up to you guys to decide. All right, now, I, I'm, a fun, I'm just so curious because Paul and I talked about this, and I'm really curious because going back to the New Year's show and the idea of playing some of these songs, for you 
Because, you know, it's weird. Obviously, I've talked about this with everyone from Ozzy to Angus Young to Bootsy Collins, all these people who are used to being on the road all the time, who were losing their minds not being on the road. So for you, what did it feel like to be back on stage? And were there songs that you got a particular rush from doing? It is true that being on the road um, is like being on a roller coaster ride. You know, you get your highs and your lows and all that. And every time you get a day off, you get a, a chance to catch your breath. But then when it's the roar of the crowd and the smell of the grease paint, and no other band can say that, there's just nothing like it. I don't know how else to say it, except we have more fun than the Pope. And so getting back out on tour is going to be really something. It reinvigorates the band, but we're not going to go out there just for the quick buck. It's not going to be, uh, it's not how we're designed. Once it's safe for everybody and everybody's gotten their uh, flu shots and COVID and all that, and it's safe. And when it's safe for us, that's when we go out and we have about a hundred cities to go before the end and we intend on upping the game i mean as i say having seen the staples center show which was phenomenal i don't know how much more you can up the game what what what's you know can you give us a preview then of what kiss upping the game is like because that's taking it next level well the kiss scientists are deeply at work coming up with new cool stuff but nothing's ever easy don't kid yourself okay now watch this nope when you see an acrobat uh, doing stuff either in a circus or at the Olympics, you go, wow, that's fantastic. People don't have a clue how much hard work goes into develop some, developing something that winds up being good, whether it's a car you drive or a painting or, or, or an acrobat. There's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Don't kid yourself. No, I understand that. So I, I, okay, I swear this last question, but I just interviewed ACDC and we were talking about this, you know, because ACDC is one of the pinnacles of the stage show. I was asking them who their favorite live shows are. Obviously, Kiss is at the pinnacle of the live show and the performance. So for you as a fan, what are your favorite stage shows? Or are there shows you think back to seeing early on that sort of set the template for the, you know, hard work in the Kiss scientists? Yeah. Hendrix and the Who early on uh, caught your attention because while Hendrix was unmatched by anybody, he also went the distance, uh, humped his amp and lit his guitar on fire, you know, did all this other kind of stuff. The Who, likewise, <clears throat> if it's just about songs, then stand still on stage and play like the Eagles, who are a great band, but they're not going to move away from their microphones. Um, the Who treated the stage like a, a jungle and uh, with Townsend smashing the guitar and Keith Moon, you know, with the drums being destroyed and, and Daltrey swinging the mic and all that. I talked to Daltrey a while. We'd become friends just about the, like, where did that come from? And it came from exactly the same place we come from, which is they would go see bands that they liked when they were growing up. And it was always disappointing me too. I'd go to see Love and Spoonful and, you know, all these bands. And boy, I like the records, but live, they're just standing there. And that's a good point of view for rock bands, especially. I mean, if you're going to be playing folk and country, then stand still and don't do anything. If you're going to be in a rock band, 
you got to up the game. Give me something. Yeah, I agree with that. Cool. Anything you want to add? I did not ask you about. I mean, because obviously Kiss have always done that. And by the way, as a quick aside, I loved David Lee Roth opening the show. I thought that was a phenomenal thing for you guys to do. And David, too, really enjoyed it because, you know, we have long, long history when they were first starting out. And I produced that first uh, Van Halen 24 track demo, 15 songs. I urge you, by the way, if you have a computer, I assume you do. Yes. Look up Gene Simmons, Van Halen demo. House of Pain, it's a song they've never recorded. They use that title, not that track. It's, I think, the best Van Halen song ever, like a, like a locomotive coming at you. All right, cool. I'll check it out. Yeah, it's funny. I just got to talk to Wolfie not long ago, and obviously, you know, I mean, it was, it's been an emotional time if you're a Van Halen fan, and I'm sure that it you know, was something that hit you hard. Heartbreaking. Uh, only the good die young, you know, just heartbreaking. There's some assholes who I know personally who should have gone earlier than, than Eddie, that's for sure. And it's yeah. very sad. Very sad. Yeah. Cool. You've already been very generous with your time. Anything that, and I feel like you got to answer a lot of questions. Anything that you want to add I didn't ask you about? We're all lucky to be alive. And if you see somebody who's a mask denier or a hoax thing, Try to talk some sense into them. They might be saving their own life and certainly some of us. Even when I walk my dog at this point, being in a, you moved out of LA, correct? That's what, I, the, that's what the rumor is. Okay. <laughs> that's what I hear. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, living in LA now, as crazy as it is, I don't leave my house without a mask, even to walk my dog outdoors. Yeah. Just, just, be, uh, just be safe out there. And we'll see you yeah. next time. And yeah. uh, until then, I wish you well. Cool. Thanks so much for the time. Have a good one. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Balton. You've been listening to My Turning Point with Gene Simmons. Thanks. Why choose proven quality sleep from Sleep Number? Because our Sleep Number 360 smart bed is really smart. It senses your movement and automatically adjusts to help keep you both comfortable. Plus, it's temperature balancing so you stay cool. It's even smart enough to know exactly how long, how well, and when you slept. And to help you get almost 30 minutes more restful sleep per night. Sleep Number takes care of the science. All you have to do is sleep. And now, during our Memorial Day sale, save $1,000 on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed Queen now only $19.99. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Hyundai, with remote charging and flexible ways to fuel up the 2022 Tucson and Santa Fe plug-in hybrid EVs, can use electric when you want and gas when you need it. Don't choose between style or function and power or range. Get both with a plug-in hybrid EV. Plus, turbocharged engines mean quiet, rapid acceleration. Digital key allows you to use your Android phone as a spare key. How about that? All brought to you by Hyundai and the 2022 Tucson and Santa Fe plug-in and hybrid EVs. You can learn more at HyundaiUSA.com.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.